The Grappling Hour is brought to you by Ludagear, athletic support items created by grapplers for grapplers. Fire Grub Meal Prep. Meal Prep. Done right. This next gentleman, he won also at the ADCC Trails. I'm also more intrigued to ask him about his ventures into podcasting because I have a rule against athletes trying to do what I do because I don't do what they do. Like, I don't show up at ADCC Trials and go like, oh, hey, guys, here I am. Um, but instead, why don't we actually acknowledge what was really awesome? The dude crushed it over at ADCC Trials. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Tim Spriggs. Sir, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, bro. Excellent. How you doing? I'm okay. I just wanted to make sure we got that out of the, the bag. Because here's the thing. When you're already talented at one thing, why do you have to do both? Because I don't need other people coming to do this stuff. You do you and be great at jiu-jitsu. To my defense, I'm doing this because it's a necessity for me. I don't use like, – I come from a pretty notable team, mm -hmm. but – I think that our story isn't being told as far as who we are, our abilities. I see a lot of other media outlets give other teams and other individuals more of a shine than us. And I think there were a lot of misconceptions about who we are and myself personally. So I figured, hell, I show things from my perspective and I put myself out there, put myself on, you know, get a media attention my way and not have someone else tell my story or have to rely on a media outlet that may have a grudge against me or some of my other teammates. So I always felt that, you know, don't sit and wait for something that you can do for yourself. And I've always had a history of, uh, I've always been involved in public speaking and performance, and I feel comfortable speaking with people and sharing my story. So I figured, what the hell, I'll start a podcast. And the BJJ Goons was created. Again, the hard part for me is always, uh, why are they doing one? Because I don't... I don't want to make fun of them. I have to make fun of everybody who does a podcast. The whole thing is, once you enter the realm, I got to start roasting you. And I'm like, I have no reason to roast you. But now you got a podcast. And I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> Tim Spriggs can finish a match in excellent form. Can't close a show under an hour to save his... No, I don't know. I mean, that's not really what I want to do. I just... I like the fact, though, that... You know, if you do feel that way, a lot of people figure that you can tell your story well but one thing that i do like that you guys are doing is you're explaining things from the athlete perspective so you're explaining as competitive athletes what's up that's my dog they basically say to themselves they're like you know you guys can relate in a different way than most people who host a show can because most of us aren't really competing at the high level you guys are mm. 
I think that people would appreciate appreciate that aspect of it. You know, you watch ESPN, you see the media's perspective, but very few athletes, if any, have the ability or are allowed to say what really goes on behind the scenes. And I think we give it a unique perspective of that as high-level guys on the scene now. And I think it's always cool. It would be cool if I could see what Steph Curry or KD really thought about the league and really thought about what goes on in their lives, sure. but they can't do that. Well, but I figure since we're in jujitsu, I could do what I always wanted. The other thing see. that's a little weird is is that in our realm, we don't really have a <clears throat> good format for media. So when I show it up and I'm the most credible person there, I always get a little worried because I look around at everybody else and I go, why don't we have something set up when people win that they talk to somebody? Flo mm. kind of chases you down, but there's not a press conference. There's not a Tom Brady basically being interviewed the minute he's stepping off the mats, like on a live broadcast. And to me, that's always bugged me. So that's been something that I've personally been working with, like on the IBJJF. And they always have a weird rule where they're like, well, we don't want people filming live matches. And I'm like, I don't want to talk to people and show their matches. I want to talk to them afterwards. I want you guys to get the proper attention and recognition that you deserve. So that's usually something that I work with. But the analogy I like to say is, I'm like, Steph Curry doesn't shoot threes and go home. He talks to no. people afterwards. Yeah, and he, I feel like the, that's part of the reason why you don't necessarily get to tell your story. Because if that were the case, and we did have media after every single event, you would have those opportunities to say a little bit more of what it is you have to say. So I think mm -hmm. we're all kind of angling toward the right thing. Um, anyway, I'm through giving you shit on that. I'm... I'm I'm just letting you know, if you ever see jokes at your expense from the podcasting side, that's where that's going to come from. Because we make memes, and I usually make them fairly nice. But then when mm. other people say, like, I'm on this podcast, I'm like, don't go on their show. <laughs> go on my show. Don't, don't fuck them. Um, anyway, let's talk about the really amazing thing that happened over the weekend. Over the weekend, sir, you basically were entered in the trials. I had a lot of people say to me, because we did a little live broadcast as it was going on, they were surprised that you even have to do trials. So are you surprised that you have to do trials or is that something that motivates you? I'm not surprised I have to do trials at all because I don't think that I have the resume to warrant just an automatic entry. And I like to get the matches in and get the experience. But first and foremost, I don't think anyone deserves an invite because this is a specific event with specific rules. And although you could be famous, at the end of the day, we're trying to make jujitsu legitimate. These are the, for lack of a better term, the Olympics of submission grappling. And I'm speaking about ADCC. And mm -hmm. the Olympics, you don't just get passed on into there. You have to earn your way. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I have the, the fan notoriety enough, and I don't have the credentials to just get entered in. Um, so I sure as hell made sure to go and do the trials and i even planned on doing the west coast trials if east coast didn't go my way well it did go your way so that's a good thing yeah. saves yeah, you some money probably there which is great hell yeah it was, <laughs> <laughs> I, fought really, I trained really hard because like i can just drive to new jersey at flying to the to the west coast would be a pain in the ass I mean, so, don't get me wrong. People were asking me if I was going to go cover Jersey, and I have your same reaction. I'm like, West Coast is right down the street from me. Yeah. East Coast is, it's a journey. And it's one yeah. thing when you're an athlete and you tell people, like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go compete. I'm like, 
okay, cool, I'm going to go. And what are you going to do? I'm um, like interview people and, you know. It's a, a lot. In a sport that people don't really know what this is. They just kind of figure like, oh, okay. So I'm very happy on that realm. Let's talk about your day because I don't know how to say this without sounding disrespectful to your opponents, but you had a fairly solid day. Like, it didn't, like, you had to be a favorite coming into this, but what was it like? Because you started off in the round of 32. When you did start in the round of 32, um, I just never felt like you had, like, a terrible day. You had your first match go to time. Can you tell us a little bit about that first match? Because you went 9-0 in that first match. Oh, man. Uh, the crazy part was I was kind of, like, cold. Like, I wasn't really fully warmed up because they had us in there for weigh-ins at 9. They said they were going to start at 10. The rules meeting went a little, went a little bit long. Yeah. And we're sitting there waiting. So the way it works is there was a, it was actually like a 64-man bracket. There weren't 64 people, but there was enough to have a 64-man bracket in each division. So they went through each round of 64, and there was only three mats. Yeah. So we were sitting there waiting. So that first match, you know, I got a little bit of a warm-up in, but I didn't really get the gears going. But once I hit the mat, I was really relaxed. Like that day, I was zen-like. So I was just letting it flow, and... You know, I just commenced to doing what I've been training and working on. And, you know, it just all panned out pretty well for me. I felt in the zone. I felt like he couldn't really do much to me. Mm-hmm. I was just super aware of everything he was going to do just because I've been training super hard. And this is something that I've always wondered where, for you particularly, what is that week like going into competition? Like, where is your, like, mental game? Where are you... You know, in terms of your training, what does that look like to you? Well, that week I had just gotten back from Mexico, and I was in when I was in Mexico, I was sick as a dog, so I had to spend my whole trip there basically trying to recover in time to get some last few rounds in before I went to compete. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty unique. Usually, I dial it back a lot. Um, I'm doing a lot of drilling and doing like my conditioning in the beginning of the week and making sure my weight is good but for this tournament uh i had to do it was kind of like uh it was more like a recovery period for me and i didn't get the last set of really hard rounds in the week of to finish it off it was are basically you are you still going up until the like the week though with hard rounds or is that like something that kind of like motivates you because some people might taper off as they get that close uh, to an ADCC? Uh, well, all the time we're putting in good rounds in. We're always rolling. Our level and intensity, it's not like breakneck speed where we're trying to kill each other, sure. but we're going. So we have that baseline already. We're not we're not training to extreme exhaustion like it's in a camp, but during this time of year, we're going hard. So I wasn't able to really do that too much because I was still recovering. I was like... That was like I had a bad cold. But yeah, I go right up into probably that Monday or Tuesday just to make sure my weight is good and I'm still sharp. And then for the rest of the week from Tuesday on, it's drilling in light rounds, mm. maybe just nothing at all. Like the last few days, if my weight is good, I'm letting my whole body regenerate. Makes sense. And I guess that helps to understand that why if on the day of competition – 
they're maybe running what might seem like 30 minutes, an hour late, can start to build up, especially if you have a week like that. Yes. So you you get to that point where you just want to be, you're anxious. You just want to get in there and start competing at that point. Oh, yeah. I was fed up. I, I, I was actually looking forward to each match. I wasn't dreading it. I didn't feel anxious. Mm. I wanted to go and execute and just see what my skills could do. Like Lately, my whole philosophy on competing and just jiu-jitsu in general has changed. It used to be super competitive with other people. Now it's like, okay, we've been in the lab. We've been experimenting. Now it's time to see how the dice fall. Sure. Either what I'm working on is is working, or we have to refine. And I don't, I don't really get anxious anymore. I just am in the zone, and I just go for my stuff, and I let it flow. Like a lot of guys, you'll see they're super tense, and they have one line of victory. For me, I have an idea of where I want to start, and then wherever the match goes, I can take it there. Mm-hmm. So when I went out there, I was really excited, really to show what I've been working on because within the last, well, since I came back to competing and fully in like March, I've been improved. But ever since after Worlds, my game, especially in Nogi, completely two times better. And I wanted to show everyone that, you know, my wrestling, my takedowns, everything. Is it also partially, and again, I don't want to lead you here, but this is just something that I'm, I'm picking up from what you're putting in. Is it also partially that you now have a resume that kind of can speak for itself? Because I feel like part of the competition mentality that I see from so many of the young guys who are out there is they're trying to prove themselves. And I think that makes an extra element of tenseness to their game. Whereas I think, you know, people are familiar with what you do and that they know that when they see you, you're going to get a good match and that it will have an intensity to it. But now you don't necessarily have to prove who you are. People know who you are. And that now you can kind of pick and choose uh, how you play the game. And there's a certain level of, of mastercraft that you have to it. I wouldn't say it's that I don't feel like I have to prove anything because I still feel as though I have a lot more to accomplish. And I have a lot to prove to myself as far as a resume is concerned because I've yet to win a major tournament at Black Belt. Like I won the trials, which is a big deal. I'd say winning the ADCC trials is a really big deal because it is a precursor and a qualifier to the, the other the, the other most prestigious tournament in all of grappling besides the jiu-jitsu worlds for IBJJF. Mm-hmm. But I haven't accomplished like a Pan Am or world title in the Gi or I haven't won an ADCC title. So I don't think it's that because I still am really hungry for that. But it came with the maturity as a competitor. As a competitor, I know now that it's not always about going in one straight line and being super tense and, and and like i gotta get this takedown and get to this position a lot of the magic that happens in these matches and a lot of your growth as a competitor to improve happens when you are fighting loose mm-hmm. and what i mean by loose is not sloppy what i mean is you're flowing you're letting the match come to you because every match tells a different story you'll see guys that can dominate but the higher you go in level, you're starting to see that it's few and far between where someone's game plan goes exactly as planned. Sure. You're going to be able to get to certain positions, but there's a little play within it. At Brown Belt, I was just so ahead of the curve because of my coaching and my conditioning and my seasoning as a competitor that 
I could just steamroll people and I could just do the same thing over and over. Mm-hmm. Now, I realize from my failures and my setbacks in matches and in the room that in order for me to get over that hump and go to the next level, I have to open my mind and open up my game. A lot of people consider me just a takedown guy and a guard passing guy because I was so focused on doing just that. Now, in practice, I'll pull guard half the time. I'll go for leg locks. I'll go for all types of crazy stuff. And then when it comes out in these matches, you're starting to see it. Like, I, I was going for foot locks in the tournament. I was out. I was doing takedowns with a guy that was a Big Ten champion at one point in college within the last few years. And that's all because I'm opening it up. In Nogi, it used to be just blast doubles and knee cuts. Now it's, I'll stand with you. I'll pull on you. We'll do this. I'll go legs with you. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So it, it, that's been the change. It's not so much that I don't feel that I, I don't feel about I have to prove something. It's that I'm accepting the process. I'm not rushing anything. If I open sure. up and, I, and let let I say send all the nukes, when I send all the nukes, good things will happen. That's intriguing. That's a that's a very cool uh, perspective into like I guess what is your kind of uh, grappling philosophy when you are competing. Many people have different places. For you, it's interesting to to note the difference between saying prove yourself at a certain level. Because I feel like every incremental level that you get at, especially from what I've seen from black belt competitors is, there mm-hmm. is a little bit of a difference. So that maturity that you're talking about is I think closer to what I'm referring to in terms of not having to prove yourself on a circuit where you kind of have a mastery of it. But you're saying that it's more so like you still have the hunger to prove yourself because you're still hungry to get those titles, but you've come with a better perspective. Uh, that now is going to where your game's matured. So that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Um, One thing that I, again, as I'm watching this live though, part of the reason why I want to explain why I think so many of us feel you have to be, if not a favorite, a threat, is that I like hearing you saying that you're going to mix it up, but this tournament does seem to play to a lot of your strengths. So Mm -hmm. when you are in an ADCC rule set, do you feel more empowered do you feel like this is your element is there another rule set that you like better because for me i keep thinking you know takedowns plus good jujitsu means you know yeah i enjoy the rule set Uh, however it is kind of weird that there's no points for the first half of the match (laughs) Because in my philosophy as a, in competing and in combat sports, if I'm going for the win, I'm going for dominant position right away. Mm-hmm. And the way I've, I've gauged my game is that big moves, big points, guard passes, mounts, back takes. It sucks, though, because guys are super defensive now, mm-hmm. especially in Nogi. Like, you'll have guys that are getting mounted and they'll tuck their chin to their chest, hands up to their neck and won't do anything. And then when points come on, they start to come alive or they'll try to get to some weird funky position and let the clock run and then you go into overtime, you know? So that was always been, that's been a, a, an adjustment for me. So it's gonna require me to go for more submissions. Um, I, I, I kind of find the rule set to be very favorable to my style. 
but I don't really have a favorite rule set. To me, I don't care what rule set it is. I say this all the time. Any time, any place, any rule set. I don't have a favorite because I prepare for everything. There was a time when I had a favorite like between gi and no gi, but now it's like I can't even choose anymore. I used to love gi more. I thought no gi was trash. Now I'm doing a lot of no gi, and I'm like, oh, man, gi sucks because you can't do heel hooks. So... I'm just a I'm just a mixed match of everything. I'm doing a little bit of everything, How so I don't have switch to... happen because I feel like that's something that might give us some more intel and to teaching people who do have that perspective. There is definitely a perspective for a number of people who are like, nah, 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 I train this. You can ask them. You're like, oh, do you do gi or no gi, or do you train like this? And they're just like, I I like one of them. So like, what what switched for you to appreciate both? In order to be considered the best in the world in grappling, you have to be great at both. Mm-hmm. And I, my goal since day one has been to be a great jiu-jitsu or grappler, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And if you're pitching yourself into one over the other, you can't consider yourself the best. Each has their drawbacks. Each have their myths, their myths behind them. There's a myth in the gi that says that you can't be good at no gi unless you do the gi. Then there's a myth that no gi is more practical for the real world. So they both have their cult-like following in within their their uh, their fan base. Mm-hmm. And I will say this: in the few years, I think that gi and no gi are going to be completely separate. They're going to be considered totally different sports, mm-hmm. just from where I see the game going. I mean, I could delve deeper into that maybe at another time, but as far as which one I prefer or the better, I'm going for all of it. And in order to get paid, in order to get attention and have the best chance of doing that, you have to do everything. You have to keep yourself busy and you have to stay in the public eye and you have to win everything. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Let's continue on. So your second match, because I want to go through these. I thought they were pretty well-versed. So second match, you're able to win by points, three to two. Um, what stuck out to you about that match? The score, because that guy didn't score on me. That was not two for a reversal. There was no point in that match where I could see how. I think they gave points to the wrong guy. I could be wrong, but I didn't get swept or anything. From what I remember, I could be wrong. But, uh, yeah, that's the first thing. But uh, what threw me off, I was on his back for a while, um, I was going for the choke. I thought I had the mount pretty secure, but he just kept on wiggling away. And I was in my mind, I was kind of pissed off. I was like, man, I had this guy's freaking back. I was mounting him and he just scoots away and rolls away. So I'm like, I really got to turn it up. And I kind of put myself in a compromising position. I was like, like in a weird half guard type position, trying to go for knee cuts. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember specifically. But, you know, my coach, my teammate Ty was like yelling at me, come on, you got him, you're about to break him. So I just kept pushing the pace and got the pass. And uh, that was probably my toughest match of the day, I'd say, just because it was down to the wire and I had been exhausting all of my attacks to try to finish this guy and it just wasn't coming together. And I have to admit, I was pretty frustrated, but it ended up being good. I ended up pushing through. And uh, a lot of that is just seasoning, but it also is a mentality in the room that I have is like you just keep going until you break the guy or the time runs out, but they have to take it from you. Mm-hmm. 
So I wasn't going to sit back and wait for overtime or for help from the judges. And I just kept pushing the whole time. Does that then give you the fuel? Because the next round, it makes a pretty clear statement when you make a 5-0 round uh, for your, I believe, quarterfinal. That's about the time where I was getting in the groove of things. Like, my body had finally woken up. I had a couple matches under my belt. I was feeling – I had the bojo going. And, you know, that, that that match was pretty good. I think that was the one where I almost broke the guy's arm with the straight arm lock from standing. So – yeah, I, I was really feeling myself at that time and, you know, ended up in my typical position, got there and was ready to dominate, you know, I was just going around the legs, just really trying to go for the finish because I get a lot of flack for not finishing people. But by God, I really do be trying to finish these guys. I mean, if, you, if I wasn't trying to finish these people, I wouldn't be getting such high scores and blank and pitching shutouts. So, yeah, it's <laughs> hard. It like bug you, though? Like, because... One thing I always say is consider the source. And half the time when I see people who are complaining about people who don't finish, I just think, okay, who's complaining about it? Exactly. Floyd Mayweather made millions and millions of dollars by not finishing people. So I look at it like this. If I completely blank you out and you can't do anything and all you can do is play defense as a professional where your job is to not get submitted, good on me. Good on me. I mean, I'm, it's not like I'm fighting chumps here. True. You know, contrary to what some media outlets will say, I don't fight chumps ever, especially in this bracket. I mean, Wait, can I? What media dangerous. outlets are saying this? Because are you are you referring to the actual print versions or like the online versions of like newspapers? Because here's the thing that I'm always intrigued by. It seems like it's more individuals who would flame uh instagram or uh, probably blow up a social media that i see that i think are the trolls that do this where is this that you're seeing it from uh i see it from a few outlets there's a couple in particular i don't i'm not going to drop names and like give these people any more attention than they deserve but i will say that these media outlets have favorites and that one guy could win a bunch of stuff and not get the attention of someone else who has a lesser has lesser credentials or is on a major losing streak. I'll look at it like this. For me, from what I've seen, I beat the I beat the guy, he's a bum. He beats me, he's a second coming. And I've seen this several times for me personally and other people that I know. And it's not just people that are my teammates. They just see it all the time. There are guys that get so many passes and so much attention and so many opportunities. And quite frankly, their career isn't up to snuff compared to somebody else who just so happens to not be a favorite from whatever reason or prejudice they may have against them or they might not think they're marketable. And there's always that, that, there's always that issue. So that's why I say this. But I fight people that are world-class all the time. I don't get gimme matches. So if I don't finish the guy, so be it. I still get the W. I still get the gold. I still get the money. So who cares? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely part of it. And I think it's something that modern athletes are having to experience with nobody to walk them through it. Because, you know, they teach you to be like, hey, here's how you be an athlete. Here's how you conduct yourself. But there's such an immediacy to social media that it makes it seem like, well, now you got everybody chiming in. And mm-hmm. when they can do that, they don't teach you how to respond to those people. So I'm a comic. 
to me, when I, I see somebody who brings something to my attention and they think that they've got a funnier joke than me, I wait for them to make me laugh. But the difference <laughs> is, is that I look at them and I'm like, yo, you guys are just like trying really hard. And some of the people who I see make jokes don't understand the difference between being funny and being an asshole. And so there's a way to be funny. And sometimes you can be an asshole. But I think the primarily thing that I'll see from people online is, especially from the athlete angle, is you're going to have those people who are going to push your buttons. And I think, Mm -hmm. especially if we don't have media training, they're going to say some shit to you and they don't feel like they can be held accountable to it. I mean, I carry these guys like they carry me. So at at a certain point, you know, are you allowed to swear in this? Yeah, you can swear, dude. I've I've cursed at least four times since you've been on. You're okay. Okay, so I care like I would carry anything else because I think what people like about me, the small fan base that I do have, is that I'm authentic. I'm a real person. I may not have hundreds of thousands of followers. I may not have, like, this whole media mystique. And I'm, I'm not someone that's a politician. I'll keep it 100 with you. So... I'll tell you, like, hop off my dick, please. Like, if you're really on my case, you know, I'll, I'll tell you straight up if you're full of shit because I'm just being real. It, 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 it's the Wild West in jiu-jitsu now. I mean, the die is cast. Like, we look at our politicians. We look at the people we look up to in sports, the McGregors, the guys who talk the most shit. The die is cast. So, to me, there's no such thing as, like, things not to say or media training or being politically correct. So if someone's going to say some shit, I say back because I don't care. And I know that I'm real. And if people don't like it or people think I'm an asshole and they don't know me, fuck them. You know? Sure. The reason why I do say this, though, is for peace of mind because when I interact or I work with athletes, my thing is you're only going to get bigger, dude. And so these problems will become increasingly more fold when you get more individuals who are watching your matches and more individuals because you're already at an elite level and it's not like you regress from the elite level (laughs) so you know the next level of the game is now instead of 10 people commenting you've got 40 idiots commenting and i think there's a quality to life at some point i think there's a respond pick and choose your battles but i literally the way i've come to my interpretation of this whenever we get assholes or people I just, I literally just, I laugh because I'm like, you know, if somebody's like, we had somebody who recently posted uh, on something and it was for Ben Askren and it was Ben Askren's interpretation of uh, Eubanks, right? Mm -hmm. Who missed weight over the weekend. Yeah. And on this one article newspaper website on Facebook, I just literally go, can we just not quote him every five seconds? Like... I don't need to know what Ben Askren thought about this. This has nothing to do it gets annoying. with him. Yeah. And here's the thing. Like, he's in there now. And, yeah, you could call him a boring fighting. And I have. But the difference is I don't dislike the guy. And you can't disrupt what his record is. So he's a guy now who's trying to play the game of being a Conor McGregor. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, I think makes him look really weirdly stiff. Like, it's not natural to me to hear him go, look at these bums. It's All right. It, it, it's inauthentic. That that's happening in jujitsu now. Yeah. And it's phony because you meet these guys and they're not like that. No, Ben. I, every it, account I've heard from him is top notch, super amazing. But the fact now he knows he has to play UFC to do this 
is where it seems a little awkward. So anyway, I write this on there. Some guy comes over. He starts trying to talk uh, trash about my website. The nicest part about my thing is I literally don't have to sit back and do anything because half the people will start making fun of him for me. All I do is I just go, this is amusing. Cool. We're done. Um, Of course, there are different ways to handle things. I just know that for somebody who I foresee having a long future in doing this sort of event and activity, there is a strongness to saying like, okay, dude, if somebody's calling you not a finisher, I would like to see them roll with you. <laughs> you know, like, never will. I, but, never but I send a, location. I send, I send the address sometimes <laughs> and everything. They never show up. I just, to myself, I have a policy and it's one that I, I keep very, very high. And as doing a comic and, you know, interacting with athletes, there's always a respect to what the athlete does. But in order to do what I do, I have a policy, which is I would never make a joke about somebody that I wouldn't say to their face. So, you know, it, it, I think it makes you very accountable to the point of I've asked people very hard questions. I've asked them very tough things, but it's always within a certain amount of fairness that I think that's still respectful to them as an athlete. But mm. it's just when you get to the grown up level, don't treat them like kids, treat them like they should be deserved to be treated and then press them um, when needed. So that's a lot of the hardness of, of, I think that the internet has changed how we interact and how we do it. So for me to you, as whatever advice you wanna take it is, yeah, if someone's saying you aren't finishing matches, just fuck them, like so <laughs> hard. Like, you know, I mean, and the funny part is, dude, I could 100% go down a list of opponents and athletes that you've been at with points. And say, yeah, sure, it'd be nice if there was a submission there. But if you're trying to do all you can to give me a submission, I'm usually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole point. That's why I fight the way I fight, to be aggressive and finish guys. You know? But it's but, also like, think about the rule set and the points. Like, if you get mount, your mount is looking extremely, really solid, um, especially lately. I mean... I've seen you get there and I've I've been looking at it and I just go, it, it seemed to be such a problem for so many people and especially in ADCC, that's a great gift to have. So, oh, yeah. uh, you know, there is that. Let's talk about your semis because the semi was kind of wacky. It was amazing in the sense that you got this great guillotine that you were able to essentially just jump straight into. Mm. What was weird was how it was running out. And it doesn't seem like they hold consistency for how they ring out and ring back in. But you were able to jump it out and it became like, oh, God, please don't slam on the mat on the floor. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> this looks like it could go terribly. And then they kind of group together and they're like, no, 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 center of the mat. And then I think that's when Chewy, uh, Nick, and to himself was like, no, I'm fucking caught and like falls back on the mat. So can you take me through your interpretation of how that went? Okay. I, I've been training wrestling for the last couple of years, and I'm a proponent of pulling the head down and clubbing. Mm -hmm. And what I was doing with Master Lloyd and the guys at Camp Springs was we pull the head down, just simple guillotine stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. First day of jiu-jitsu, simple guillotine stuff. It just so happened that when I pulled his head down and reached over, his head stayed down long enough where I could hop over and reach for his neck. 
I wasn't expecting for him to posture up. I thought he was going to try to shoot my legs. So when I started feeling him pick me up, it was like a roller coaster. I'm like, well, I want to get this finished because I'm already been fighting all day. And I'll just go for the ride. Yeah. So I just hopped up, locked my legs, and I had it in. Master Lord always would say this, and I would never believe him because in practice, it would, he, he'd make us drill it in a way where it, it was like very isometric. Mm-hmm. That is like, when you get it on, Shorty, it's going to be tight. And I was like, okay, Master Lord, whatever. It'll be tight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm probably going to have to squeeze until my arms explode. Mm-hmm. When I had it locked in and cinched, it felt like nothing. So when he started walking out of bounds, I was like, oh, okay. He'll probably slip his head out. But he wasn't getting out. Like, I, he, he, he was trying to pull. He wasn't going anywhere. And then the ref, Greg J., who's a really good referee, he didn't stop it, mm-hmm. which I give him a lot of credit for because some referees would stop, even though you're really not supposed to if there's a submission. Right. And if you look at a video of time, my, my teammate, Tyron Ryan Murphy, he was standing there too, so they were like hands out like this. Like, <laughs> oh. I didn't notice it, though. So when he started to fall, I, I was thinking, well, shit, I'm probably going to have to forward roll or he's going to try to do the thing where guys, like, do a back bump and try to give the guy that's giving a guillotine a concussion by making them hit their head yeah, hit them. Yeah, yeah. But the way my hips were up and I was arching my back, if he had done it, I would have been ready for it. Yeah, and yeah. he just fell over to his back and started. He, I guess he was tapping before he even hit the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I didn't let go until I heard somebody say, tap, tap, tap. So when I tap somebody, it's just such an adrenaline rush that it takes me a second to register. Because one, I always think you're trying to cheat tap me where I do the fake, like, Conor like this. Yeah. And then tap. So I don't let go right away. And then I was like, holy shit. Like, did he just tap from that? It didn't even feel that tight. And so I just get up and I just start, like, doing a little happy jog to the center. <laughs> I was, I was surprised. Like even now, when I look at it, it's crazy. That was the fastest submission I ever had. And Chewy is a very good grappler. I yes. fought him in the gi a couple years ago, and he was tough to finish. And then he, I think he beat Devontae Johnson the first round. Like his, like that bracket was a lot of guys that were veterans, guys who had won stuff. It was a solid bracket. And you know, I would have figured that he would have made it to the final if we weren't on the same side. But just yeah, so happened, I mean, I was able to some... he's a he's a solid competitor, and I, I could see him early on in the day in his zone, and I thought he was up until that. I thought, man, he's having a fuck of a day. Like that's a impressive day for him, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, he's good. Listen, dude, he'll sleep fine. He's got about a thousand million followers on YouTube, so he's okay. I'm not worried about him. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just. Uh, I just like the idea of the adrenaline rush and you explain that. I'm like, all right, Paul Harris, I hear you. Um, but to be fair, like there has to be a moment where the ref has to pull you off. If you're in that competitive setting, you nobody wants to see you lose that position because we've seen it time and time again with certain rule sets where all of a sudden you might be at a submission, there's a ring out, and then all of a sudden you're like both standing again. You go... The... Yes, it happened at Worlds. It happened to me at Worlds. I was on the guy's back, and we were rolling around. They're like, start back up on the feet. I'm like, bro, I just had to work my ass off for the last however long to get on this guy's back, and you're going to start us off on the feet mm-hmm. with no penalty for the guy rolling out of bounds? Like, well, I've, I've, always, I've always yelled a little bit about, and especially this weekend, in terms of when I saw people get mount and when I saw the ref awarding the points, and there were more than about four or five instances 
where I go, yeah, that's not me and they're competing right now. But if I was that guy and I'd be like, listen, guy, I don't think you understand how hard this is for me to get mount. I'm going to need those points like now. Now. If not you could 10 seconds later. Do me a solid. Because there were a few people when I saw it was like 40 seconds before I saw the points go up. And I was like, could, nope, could not be okay with that. You would see me literally yelling at the person and being like, are you fucking kidding me? And the ref doesn't throw up the hand signals for two and mm-hmm. four, whatever the hell. So you're just guessing. Yeah. That's why it was so great I had Chris Train and Ty Ryan Murphy there to coach me. Because if I was by myself, I don't know what the hell would have happened. <laughs> because in the final, we'll probably go there later, like, I didn't know I had scored points yet. So I was like, oh, I was hanging on the guy's back for it. But it felt like an eternity. Because mm-hmm. you don't know if you scored or not. You don't know. But you do know in the finals. And... I thought um, Gonzalez actually was having a very solid day into himself. Um, are you watching, like, how closely are you watching your opponents in between matches? Because you strike me as very much a student of the game, and I know there's a perspective of, yeah, I don't need to watch what my opponents do, but what are you doing in between those rounds? Well, that day... In between rounds, I would just go to the side, eat my strawberries and like buy power bars and drink Gatorade and water and like bundle up because it was cold as shit in there. Mm. Like they had the AC blaring like, <laughs> like full freaking blast in there. And it was cold. It was in New Jersey and it's, and it's October. <laughs> so we're just freezing in there. I had my rash guard on. I had a big, thick BHTS hoodie. And I have a, a freaking windbreaker on. And I'm sitting there, like, hum, hum, humbled up like this, sitting on the stands, like, just curled up. And with my headphones on, using them like earmuffs because it was that cold. Mm. So I was too, like, worried about hydrating and having something in my stomach and staying warm to see any of the matches. I didn't know anything about the guy I fought in the finals, uh, Gonzalez. I didn't know anything about him. And I wasn't watching matches in between because my mindset was, what am I going to do? Make a game plan between rounds? Like, there's nothing I'm going to do. What I've been training in the room is going to have to suffice for now. And they're going to have to beat me at my game or and take, or force me out of it mm-hmm. and beat me square. They're going to have to take it from me. So I'm not going to play their game. And, you know, if I had known that he was a Big Ten champion and, and the three-time NCAA qualifier, it, pop, it could have possibly changed my mindset. A little bit, but I've been really focused on uh, being stoic and and being in the zone and being in the Zen state when I compete lately. Mm-hmm. So probably not. That makes sense. I was mm-hmm. uh, I was entertained by him because he he did provide some other matches that were a lot of fun. Um, so and, and like you mentioned, there were so many killers, not just in your brackets, but I, I got to look at a couple of those divisions. And there's a part of me that just for the sake of conversation thinks. Oh, we're only sending one person per category, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, you know it on paper. You see it year after year, but then you think of like so many of those people that you have seen be monsters in competition, and you just go, "Yeah, only one of these guys per division." That's right. Exactly. Can we send like two? Because like some of these guys look like they'd provide a, a very solid uh, set for us. It's only Long Beach, you know. It's not like a far thing. Um, but the other thing that everybody has to remember is those 16 slots that fill up for ADCC are filled with former competitors and people who you go, oh, right, they're in there too. 
yeah, there's some invitations, but they have trials all over, mm-hmm. you know, so you're getting the best from each continent and they're coming here. And, you know, I, I have a feeling because these divisions were so stacked as trials on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I, I, some people were saying this might have been the toughest trials, at least in North American history. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's there's trials for a reason. You know, you, you got to go out there and you got to earn your spot. I learned my lesson in 2015. You know, I beat Yuri. I beat Lucas Rocha. I beat Bruno Bassos and all in the same day at the Five Grappling Super League. Didn't get an invite. They invited other people for whatever reasons. You know, to this day, I feel like I could have made a dent in the competition. I fully believe that I would have won. But lesson learned. You can't sit back and expect them to say, hey, we're going to invite you. You deserve a spot. You can't sit back and just assume. And now we have the West Coast trials, too. But like you said, only one guy is guaranteed to go once they win that ticket. And I feel as though in a year's time, people are going to be really upset because people are just going to get snubbed. It's jujitsu so popular now and it's growing and there's so many good guys that it's not like 2007 where, oh, there's only like a handful of guys that really, come on. I mean, it's so, so, it was just to be such a difference between really good guys and shitty guys. Sure. Now, everybody's good. Yep. Anybody can take a match off of anybody. And even lower belts. Like, there are brown belts that... Or, like, there are brown balls there that could have won. Yep. Like, Jimenez, he could have won. He's that a brown great. Man, he's... Fantastic. He, you know what the worst part is? You look at him and you... And I was talking with Tex about this uh, previously, which is you look at them and you think, oh, my God, they're here forever. Like, they're going to be a problem for 20 mm-hmm. years because these kids haven't even, one, hit their prime yet. Mm-hmm. Two, this is... They're still in that athletic phase of instinctual recognition of position mm-hmm. where they haven't even hit if they hit that and their athletic peak and they have that much mat time mm-hmm. they're going to be the worst as a competitor to be, to just have problems everywhere yes um, so for me i'm like man no that that kid on a very short uh list of of people to watch out to the rotola twins i mean there were a lot of people who made huge names for themselves that day that I said, you know, the worst part is sometimes the athletes don't know they might not have won, but they definitely made a case for themselves that who, for the people who are really watching and are smart, they're keeping an eye on those people now. Absolutely. Yeah. The future is bright for the sport. Absolutely. So what do you do to celebrate when you do win? Because, you know, we make it through here. Now you finally, you, you get what you've wanted to accomplish. You just finish with that division wrestler what happens? What does that feel like? And, and where are you mentally? Mm, I'm still kind of on cloud nine. I'm still really happy. Uh, it's the biggest accomplishment of my career so far. In my mind, in my heart, I think there's only two tournaments that really matter if you're trying to say you're a great grappler. And that's world, uh, the Worlds, the IBJJF Worlds in the Gi. Mm-hmm. And it's the ADCC Championships. The world title, and I'm halfway there now. I earned my spot. You know, I, I'm going there to get double gold. That's the final two. I made a promise to myself when I returned to the sport that I was going to give everything I can to finally get those goals accomplished. And just within the last nine months, I was able to 
doing the trials. I had never won the trials before. I came up in just in a predominantly IBJJF gi based era, like training environment. We did mostly gi. We only did a couple rounds, a couple no gi sessions here and there. And I was able to make that transition this year, and I had the best performance so far. I was mentally, spiritually, physically, I was at my peak. So to celebrate, I've just been recovering because that was the war. You know, I'm trying to relax and just just soak it all in and try to have a good time. Like that night, I went and watched the UFC fights, had a couple beers, you know, you know, some other extracurricular activities, but. I went right back into the mats because it's it's inspired me and it's motivated me even more because I have a whole year. Yeah. Well, it starts the clock back all over again. You know. Yeah. You you accomplish the main objective to get you there. Yes. But now the new main objective is like you just mentioned. You want a double gold, so you know that doesn't start with you sitting there and going there for so long. I want to make sure you know this. I've been interviewing people for years. I've never heard anybody say that their reward to themselves for winning a major thing was to recover. So uh, <laughs> I want to make sure you, you understand how ridiculous that is. The one thing I'm curious about is whenever they say ADCC, maybe you're like me, maybe not, but in your head you think exotic, foreign land, going somewhere else. Your ADCC that you're going to is Long Beach over here. Does that feel like a competitive advantage or are you one of those people who would have been like, no, I kind of would have liked to have gone somewhere? I'm used to going to Long Beach every year. So going to California, I'll probably end up going to California half a dozen to a dozen times this year. Mm-hmm. So I look at it as, as home field advantage. Mm-hmm. I don't like, I, I, I fly a lot, but it's kind of a pain in the ass. I have ADD and even if I have podcasts in my ear and I'm watching a movie, I don't like sitting down for extended periods, extended period of time. Sure. Give me a three and a half, four hour flight. I'm there. You know, I, I sleep there one night. I'm I'm in tune. Like my mental clock is, my sleep schedule is fine, mm-hmm. and it's just another day at the office. So I think it's at my advantage. And you know, some people could say that Los Angeles is or California is its own weird special place in and of itself. It's like its own foreign country within the country. But uh, I try to make a joke. But uh, yeah, I look at it as, a, as an advantage. Okay. I'm really looking forward to it. And that after party is going to be lit. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Like the last after party was pretty cool. It was a nice spot. But in LA, yeah. well, Los, Long Beach, but I'll probably end up. Because how, how late are the clubs open in Los Angeles? Okay. So out in LA, here's kind of the, the general rule. Everything pretty much shut down like mm, two, which means like one thirty. However, okay. there are places that are still kind of open that aren't necessarily able to really serve you alcohol. So, you know, you, you do have some things that you can go do from there. But for the most part, we shut down by two. What I can tell you is I wouldn't be surprised if the people who organize ADCC for the athletes figure something out for y'all oh yeah so like i said it's gonna yeah. be lit <laughs> yeah i was about to say i was like you know last year we were getting uh updates from some of our friends and there's there's a certain niceness to knowing so many of the athletes 
is that I don't expect to know any of this stuff. Like, you know, I, I, we get privileged knowledge every once in a while where I'm like, I don't need to know that. That's fine. But there were a lot of videos that got sent to me that night, and I was just like, y'all are having too much fun oh, over yeah. at that ADCC. And, uh, mm-hmm, yep, looks like it's a great time, everybody. I'm going to I'm gonna sign off before I see too much. Mm-hmm. Um, that is cool, man. You know, there are a couple things that I kind of want to circle to uh, that when we – I've never interviewed somebody before. I do like to get a, a, an idea of where it starts for you. But before that, I want to ask, you had mentioned that you walked away from the sport for a little while. Mm-hmm. How long was that and why did you walk away? Mm, let's see. I would say about 2017 um, after I think it was a Pan Ams or something. I just like mentally and physically, especially physically, I was kind of out of it. Uh, I started doing jiu-jitsu when I was 16 years old, and it I've been addicted ever since. I went away to college for four years, and I was a full-time student. I rarely trained, but every day I would work out. I would watch as much jiu-jitsu footage as possible, and I went to a local gym to train maybe once or twice a week if I was lucky, and I was still able to have a lot of success. Like my first year at Purple Belt, Hey, I won Europeans at Blue while I was a full-time college student. Pan Ams, Europeans at Purple, full-time college student. And, you know, I've always pushed really hard. I really pushed myself, and I was hard on myself because I really wanted to win. And I pushed myself so hard that at times I didn't take a mental break. I just didn't have a lot. I didn't spend a lot of time with my family. You know, I felt like I was missing out on a lot of things. I was... You know, I was a dope-ass, broke-ass grappler. Like, I I was great at grappling, but, you know, I wasn't really making a lot of money. And, you know, you know I just was going through a lot of stress. And, you know, in your 20s, you know, it it's a lot. It's a lot. You see all your friends being successes in different things or, you know, your body's broken. You're getting beat up every day. I mean, I'm clean. I don't do steroids. So a two, three-a-day workload trying to train like I'm an Olympian and my body's broken down and I'm broke and, you know, I'm still a new black belt. So no one's going to really vouch for me as far as being a great instructor for seminars or privates and on the team that I'm on and all the hate they got. It was just a lot. It was hard to make it. And at a certain point, I said to myself, I need to take a break. You know, I need to see if this is what I really want to do. I've been so focused and dedicated since I was 16. I don't even know what I really like sometimes. So I decided to take a break. I got a regular job. Uh, I got health insurance. I lived a normal person life. And uh, it kind of sucks. You know, you, you're an artist. You're, you're a comedian. So every day you're doing what you love. And I saw people that they had other things that they liked, but they lived for work. And it just drove me off the wall. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I still worked really hard because at the end of the day, I was worried about that paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I eventually I got laid off. And around that, but before that, right before actually, within that first year of me working at that place, I seriously considered not doing jujitsu anymore and doing something else. Mm-hmm. Doing something else with my life, finding some other hobby. And right around that time, Somehow, by the grace of God, 
I don't know if Master Lloyd pulled it off. I'm pretty sure he did. I got an invite for ADCC in Finland. And I'm like, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. I'm not going to not take this opportunity. So I got off my ass and said, you know what? I'm going to go hard for this. I'm going to give it one good try. And I really started training again, lifting weights, and worked really hard. Still having a full-time job. I still lost, but being in that immer- being immersed in it and having people happy to see me back. Like my teammates were really happy to have me back in the room. And it was good. It felt like home again. So I said to myself, I'm going to try to do this. And around that time, I got laid off. Then I went back to training full time. And I started putting myself out there more on social media. And I started competing way more and traveling way more. And now I'm making something of myself in the game. Just around the time that the sport has taken a new height. We have Kasai for this weekend on pay-per-view. The tickets are sold out and it's on the East Coast and the community's growing. And when I left and I was falling out of love with it, it felt like it was a, bl- a dead end. Mm-hmm. Now there's opportunity and I've matured as an athlete and as a man and life's good, man. I think I made the right decision. So that's where I'm at now. I mean, I could not imagine you not doing this, if that makes sense. It's a very strange thing. Um, But the other thing that I think is difficult for people to understand is when, especially, again, we talked about the the modern era of jiu-jitsu and how everything is social media. Like, you guys are growing up on social media, like before our eyes. Whether it's you're competing and we see you compete week in and week out, or you're always there, you're always competing, you're on a fight to win, you're on everything, you're at ADCC. Mm-hmm. So to us, you know, some of us have lived other lives that we had the fortunateness to be able to do that you guys are still, you know, you're growing up, you're you're going through life. And so now it's like you take that year off, it's like wait, how does Tim Spriggs take a year off? And it's like, well, sometimes <laughs> you got to go away to figure out what you love because you're in the face of everybody every weekend and week out. And people don't understand that you could easily get burnt out. And it's also kind of in the same case of a GSP. He made this statement once that was so accurate that I, I, I understood what he meant. And it sounded like a crazy person saying it. But he was like, you know, I won this uh, this belt for so long that it now has consumed me and I need to take a break and I need to retire because now all I think about is this belt. And I was like, you know what, dude? A lot of people won't understand that. And they're going to call you a chump. They're going to call you some sort of whatever they fit whenever they're talking about the greatest and forget your record. But the fact is you said that you wanted someone to relieve you of having the belt. Anderson Silva said he wanted someone to take that belt away from him because it hangs over you every second. And it makes you think. It's like if those people are at the top of their fields and their professions and they have to live it out in front of all of us, yeah, it makes it so much more evident when you see an athlete go, I'm burnt, I need some time. And I always tell them, I'm always like, take your time, but you're gonna wi- you're going to miss it in some way. So I, I am so happy at the very base level, you never quit period, because if that's a mindset for you, you know, there's something that draws you to this and there's something that makes you compete. So that's 
not just the hobbyist level it's the next level but it it seemed to usher you back in the right direction so the nice part is now you get to go to an adcc where you're going to be way more prepared and you actually get a camp which is far more fair and again what a great opportunity to have happen to you but one that was i'm glad that it did give you that so that that's pretty cool dude yeah, I, I'm going to think the most of it. So somehow shot the world to me. I've been, been envisioning this for a very long time. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you about this because it's a weird one, but it's you guys with this whole subversive thing. There was something between you and a little bit of 10th Planet. Can you one just... guy. It wasn't 10th Planet, it was just one guy. Sure, then let's yeah. narrow that down. With one gentleman. Normally, I don't like to be in the business of asking trash and garbage things in terms of this sort of thing. But, like, did you learn anything from this series of exchanges between the two? Because I saw where it was, and it seemed odd just in the way it was taking place and interacting on social media. I learned that you can make the most out of a not so good situation. The guy came out of nowhere and called me a bitch and called my teammates and us all kinds of different motherfuckers and pussy and you know the deal. You know everyone says about my squad. But I just shrugged it off. But I was not going to let it slide. I wasn't emotional about it, but I was going to go out there and embarrass him. And now... I'm the mush master. <laughs> so is that where that came from? Yes. Okay. I mushed the guy. I passed his guard in, within 10 seconds, and I mounted him, and I thought to myself, I can try to Ezekiel choke him. I can try to Americana him, but he's probably trained his whole jiu-jitsu career not to get submitted. He's probably trained for this rule set so that he doesn't necessarily have to fight to win. All he has to do is survive and hope that he can hang on my back long enough to win a decision and talk more shit about me. So I may lose the overtime, but I'm going to embarrass you all the way through. So I proceeded to mush him. I tried to suffocate him, and I just got angrier and angrier and angrier. So then I just kept mushing him, like almost like palm striking him in the face. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a testament to him, to his pussiness, how much of a pussy he is, because he didn't do anything. I mushed him for 10 minutes and he did nothing. So I let my performance speak for itself. And he, afterwards, he continued to talk shit. And I just said, hey, I already have me- people that can make memes. I'm getting requests for memes all the time. So if you say one more thing, I'm going to make it so you have to delete your Instagram, your Facebook, all your social media. I'm going to cyber bully you until you disappear. And he stopped. So I learned to make the most of a bad situation. And I have Mushmaster merch coming out very soon. I have shirts coming out. I'm getting them made right now. I paid for a design and everything. Wow. So I'm going to get paid from him talking shit. So You literally just LeBron James that. Kudos to you, kid. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, LeBron uh, James very famously was told, shut up and dribble. And the name of the show that he's going to executive produce based shut off of up shut up and dribble. dribble. Yes. It's a, it's a very smart thing. Um, you know, it's weird because we sometimes get asked about that sort of stuff. Like, you know, cause we comment on everything. We, we, we chime in with our interpretations of things. 
I love great trash talk. I love great trash talk that is in the element of what is the athlete? What do we know about them? What is fun? What is playful? There was something about that that I was like, I don't even want to cover that. You know, it's not, it didn't it's not seem. It was just, just disrespectful. Well, here's what's the interesting thing to me. I don't know what you did to provoke it. And I don't know how anybody in the situation benefits from that line of attack. Or, or that line of weird, you know, shot in the dark sort of a thing. And I'll be honest in saying I'm not a huge fan of, of necessarily going at it between you and him. I just kind of tune it out. And I was just like, I'm just going to be there for the match. And, you know, kudos to you. You had an amazing match. It was just one that I looked at and I said, I'll catch up with you guys after this. Because mm-hmm. I do know him. And I do know that that was, again, how we just talked about where Ben Askren does that thing where you go, that doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ring true. There's not really an authenticity to it. So with respect to that and respect to all of the things that people were saying, I want to give you the opportunity to answer this question, which is what do you think is the most, the biggest misconception about Team Lloyd Irvin in your eyes? Uh, I think the biggest misconception, it's unfortunate because I think a lot of, I'm just going to say it, we're predominantly black team. You know, a lot of our guys are, black or you know brazilian black or you know so the misconceptions we get are just what society's misconceptions are of black people and black athletes they just assume that we're super athletic that we're not skillful they assume that we're thugs or there's something suspicious about us we're mean and we're unapproachable when it's not like that at all we're actually very intelligent like you know we got some people that are like engineers, I'm a college graduate. We are very intelligent athletes on our team. We're very kind. We give back to the sport. Master Donnie, you know, Jamil and all these guys on the team, Master Donnie brought these kids up for nothing and then they teach the kids classes. I I pay it for it, I still teach kids. So we're like a family. We're very nice, we're very approachable, we're very intelligent, we're not thugs and we love jujitsu. But, you know, you let some people that have beef with Master Lloyd, that have beef with our team, they, we're just different. We're outsiders. So we're going to get hated on. We're not Brazilian. We're not from California. You know, we don't look like most of the jiu-jitsu practitioners out there. So we're going to get a certain amount of hate anyway. But the biggest misconception is that we're bad people, that we're criminals, that we're abusive. It's not like that at all. Quite frankly, I think it's kind of racist. I'm not going to lie. And it's unfortunate because you're, if you're going to come into the conversation, you're going to come approach us that way or think that we're like that, you're going to miss out on knowing about some of the best jiu-jitsu practitioners in the world, not just the United States. It's a damn shame. I think we're the best team in America as far as we are Americans, and we produce American world champions. We produce world champions. We don't recruit. We don't take kids from places where they're already great and we just put them in a room and beat the hell out of each other and we set them out there and we win major titles. We'll take guys, and you already know who, who, who these people are, that come from nothing, they're in a different school, they're getting their ass kicked, they come train with us for a year and they become world champions. Or they become 
so incredibly good, so incredibly famous that people forget who they were with before. But you're not going to hear that side of the story just because we got a lot of haters and because we're this misconception that we're mean, we're criminals, we're dumb, we're just not technical, and we don't love jujitsu. So that's the biggest misconception. I want to give you time to answer that because, again, it seemed like it is one of those things that people themselves, if you do have a blank slate and you don't get out there, they probably will ascribe what it is they feel they know about you. So I do understand that's why you created the podcast. Yes. Um, so it, it does make sense. But at a, on another level, it's one of those things where when I do see something that I think takes it out the realm of trash talk, I think it's so important to give those people the opportunity to just say something and to utilize their time. So for me, it's one of those... I always look at it from the perspective of I've never had a bad interaction with you. I don't really particularly know you, but I saw that you did an amazing performance run over at ADCC. And uh, I happened to comment on your mush mouth. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Listen, I get everybody's got, you know, their gang signs now. That's fine. But when I do see uh, you throwing that up, I'm just like, you know, not that it's a bad thing, but as a marketing guy, I'm like, I can't see your face. And I know that's the point, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm just looking <laughs> over and I go, if I were to bring this into like any of the marketing departments I work with and I just go, hey guys, got a great design. It's basically the guy puts his hand over his face. They'd be like, can, can we workshop that? And I'd be like, no, he's dead set on it. That's what we're doing. You know what the beautiful part is about it is? Mm. Anyone can do it and become anonymous just like me. So you could be the most master. All you got to do is this. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, I, I love the fact that when I saw it happen and he responded and I was reaching out to everybody uh, who won that to trials. So we've got all five of you who won East Coast who are going to be on in the next couple uh, this week or next week. And you just made it easier for me. And I was like, oh, hey, I got to, this saves me a time. Hey, come on the show. Cause I, <laughs> if I don't do this here, I got to send you a direct message and I don't want it to make it seem you probably got enough things going on on that side. Um, all right, cool. <laughs> I'm glad that worked. Um, as we start to round uh, third on this, there was something that hit me on your Instagram page that I was a little, I'm not going to say miffed about, but I was more so, and I'll explain why I was more so, wow, I didn't know that about you. You had two photos on there of the Heart Foundation, and I'll tell you why I was mad at you. Why? The reason why is that I have worked my ass off to make a whole hybrid between professional wrestling and jiu-jitsu become more and more prominent. And somehow, I don't know that you've seen any of these things, I would never assume that, but the fact that you haven't made a video for us that combines that and you're a black belt and athletic makes me a little like, well, why don't you do one of these videos for us? Because, God damn it, my friend, I did not know you enjoyed the professional wrestling. I'm a huge fan. Are you? Huge. Yes. Hmm. Yes. That's what I do in my spare time. I watch pro wrestling, Mexico, Japan, everywhere. I'm a, now I'm going to say I'm a historian, but I'm a geek. I'm in the know. As you can see, I have a uh, Katsuyori Shibata I shirt did. from my at The Hard Way Limited. Um, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to them. Because... I wouldn't necessarily assume that. As somebody with a real wrestling kind of ability, 
they don't necessarily go hand in hand. Oh, bro, I totally want to win everything I want to win this year so I can go into pro wrestling. That's part of my motivation. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. That's been my dream since I was six, seven years old. I've, I've loved pro wrestling. There was a time where I didn't watch, mm-hmm. but, you know, I went back into watching it, and I'm totally in it. I watch all the local shows. I stay up to date. Yeah, I know my stuff. So okay. I'm going to do it because it pays better than MMA. 100%. Dude. Christ. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can talk I can talk with the best of them and I'm a legitimate tough guy. You know, so you want to G- go that like nice DC route where they start to talk to you and give you that nice paper. That's way better than anything he's getting at a UFC. Um, yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me ask this, though. Who are your favorites? Because, I, again, I don't know these things. I saw you put up Owen, and, I mean, everybody loves Owen. I saw, of course, okay. uh, you put up uh, Neidhart after his unfortunate passing. But yes. that doesn't necessarily give me a perspective of who you like and why you like them. All right. Uh, my my favorite to watch now is uh, Mara Fuji. I'd say my if, if I was to cater a style, I would do uh, – my influences are Mara Fuji Kenta. Kenta's the most copied pro wrestler. Sick for real, yeah. Yeah, in the last decade. Uh, Kawada, uh, Masawa, Bill Mascaris, and Terry Funk. Those are my favorites to watch right wow. now. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. That, yeah. that's, a, that's a very broad spectrum right there. Exactly, yes. The, you can take a little bit from everybody. But those are the ones I've been watching lately. A lot of Marafuji, Kenta, Terry Funk, and Bill Mascaris. So then why are you wasting your time trying to finish matches, you know, with like <laughs> Kimuras and arm bars when you have the ability uh, to go ahead and do something? I'll, I'll tell you something right now. Uh, are, are you able to he- hit pro wrestling moves in your training? Because you're somebody, yeah. yeah? And what do you hit? I hit a sharpshooter on someone in practice. How'd you I've hit it a couple times from 50 50. Like, I, I think I pulled his leg over and stepped over and made him tap with it. All right, that's pretty legit. <laughs> like nobody will go to fifty fifty with me, not because they're afraid of my heel hooks. It's just like they're like, if I get sharpshootered one more goddamn time, Raf, I swear to exactly. God. See, it's dangerous because not only can you blow their knees, but you can totally break their back. Well, I, I was laughing because uh, I had the opportunity in Vegas to train with Canuto, and somebody, somebody asked me, they're like, Raf, show that version of sharpshooter you have from X Guard, and I was like, sure. And so I don't have this happen very often, but Canuto looks over at me and he just goes, can you show that again? And I was like, I don't know that I want to show this to you. Oh, you're too Dude, athletic, my friend. If he pulls it off this weekend, you are, you're, you're like the Joe Rogan of Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> it's like GSP asking him for spending back advice. You're the Joe Rogan of Jiu-Jitsu, bro. The one thing I had to tell him was, I was like, listen, you're too athletic, and this is one of those moves that it fucks up your back before you realize it. So, like, yeah. you're you're somebody who's going to fuck somebody up with this. And he was just like, yeah, that looks really cool. Let me see it again. And I was like, boof. So, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's something that's really ridiculous and wacky. Well, in the future, sir, I'll tell you two things. Number one, that uh, you have to do a video for us. Every year during professional wrestling's mecca, WrestleMania, yes. we do a series of WWE BJJ moves. And so the idea is to combine what would be in a jiu-jitsu setting, a professional wrestling move, in whatever degree or fashion you want. All right. I can get it done. I, I believe that. 
And then uh, number two, I was like, you know what, Tim, I'm never going to compete against you ever in my life. And I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. I would, however, roll with you in WWE BJJ style where you have the ability to use that because I can fit a storyline into figuring out how to beat you. But otherwise, oh. in jiu-jitsu, I don't think I got a shot. <laughs> well, I look forward to it. It'll be my first pro wrestling match, first of any. You'll be my first <laughs> opponent. Well, I'm, I'm glad of it because one of the funniest parts is we, we now have a belt that is essentially our – are you familiar with the DDT Pro Iron Man belt? Absolutely, yeah. That's where Kenny Omega and Obushi got their start. Absolutely. Yeah. That's essentially what we do with a belt, so – <laughs> we uh, we literally just uh, Keith Kikorian who took second, very famously. I had a storyline where I go, "Hey man, um, I need you to beat this guy," and he's like, "All right, all right, I'm very excited about it." Have him take the title off the guy, and I go, "But I'm taking it from you," and he's like, "Wait, why?" And I go, "Because I'm taking it elsewhere, so someone can win it off me in Vegas, kid." It's like we're going to different territories. Do you not understand how this works? Yeah. And he looks at me, and because he's so competitive, he just goes. How come I don't get to hold on to the bell as long as he does? And I was like, oh, Jesus. Oh, kids, we got to teach you how to take the fall. All right. Yeah, smart him up. Anyway, listen, dude, um, I'm so glad that we were able to do this today. Let's do this. Let's do a laundry list of the things that we have to take care of before we get on out of here. Can you name out some sponsors who help you pay the bills and who take care of you, sir? I would like to thank VHTS. Uh, very hard to submit. They have the best young jiu-jitsu, in my opinion. They have really nice clothes as well. I like rocking their T-shirts, their hoodies. They're my favorites to wear on the road. They keep me looking really cool in all their latest gear. We have a, a sponsor, Cannabody, which is a CBD salve. They hook me up. Uh, they really support my podcast as well. Those are the two major ones right now. And, you know, I'd like to thank all my teammates and everyone else. That's awesome. That's great. I love VHDS. I still have one of the geese that Guy gave me years ago. Uh, it's like my, it's my goat. It's my, one of my favorites to still have. It's still legit. Um, and then you've also got a fight to win match coming up against, oh, I don't know. It's probably some no-name guy. Let me see. I want to check my notes here. Um, super easy to beat. Uh, no real pedigree in Richmond, California. Who are you competing against? I'm fighting Yuri Samoas, two-time oh, okay. ADCC champion in the same category I qualified for this weekend, 99 kilos. That's pretty dope. So, yeah, two-time reigning defending champion. We're one and one right now. We're one and one. So. Are you? So now you get that opportunity. So, uh, yeah. you know, not only are you both probably, I mean, going to ADCC. It's a collision course, yeah. And now it's you get that out of there. All right. All right. That's great. All right, my man. Well, listen, dude. Uh, let's go ahead and say this. Your podcast is called? The BJJ Goons Podcast. You can listen to it after you listen to any one of mine, people. Yes, please. Perfect. After, not before. Right, right after. Go in, go in order. You know? Yes. Like, go, like, do verbal tap, come over to Grappling Hour, and then, you know, when you've got time, you can go <laughs> to BJJ Goons because uh, I... I Again, one of the things that makes me so mad is that we don't have a streamlined media that interviews you. And as much as I would have loved to have interviewed you in the moments right after you won, because you could tell what it meant to you. I'm very happy that we were able to do this today and do a full profile on uh, what I, I know was a, a tough journey back, but I think one that will be a fruitful one for you, sir. 
Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's first time on the show. Hopefully, first of many. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, <laughs> no. The number one rule of the podcast, kid. This is how you know you're still a novice at this. You don't promise them they can come back. Because the minute they think they can come back, uh, then they think, no, we'll have you back on. Uh, <laughs> I just want to make sure that you guys uh, go ahead and take a look at him. Congratulations again to our good friend, Tim Spriggs. Uh, thanks, guys. <laughs>